This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. The internet gives every business and every individual the potential to make your photography, your work, your business, or whatever passion you have to reach the entire world. When I created ImprovedPhotography.com, it completely changed my life when I was able to take my ideas and bring them to a broad audience. Head to Squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I'm extremely excited to have a guest host with me today to geek out with, Mr. Don Kamarechka. Hi there, Don. Welcome to Photo Taco. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. This is a delight to be here. Did I get your name right? You did. <laughs> Close okay. enough, anyhow. Close enough. All right. I've heard it a billion times, but I've never actually said <laughs> it before. So, all right. So first off, Don, why don't you take uh, two minutes or so introduction in case any of the listeners don't already know your work, including the many times you've been on other photo talk or uh, photography podcasts over the years. Well, yeah, you know, I, I guess uh, a lot of people might know me from This Week in Photo. I was a regular co-host on there for many years. Uh, my work predominantly surrounds what I call the unseen world, which is the stuff that I can't see with my own eyes. Uh, that's infrared photography, astrophotography, sure, but uh, a lot of people know me for my macro work. Uh, in the wintertime right now, I am just going crazy with snowflakes and freezing soap bubbles and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, summer months, um, water droplet uh, refractions where you can turn a water droplet into a lens and see whatever you place behind it, a flower or a photograph, come through that water droplet uh, as some level of magic. And this past year, I did a lot of explorations with ultraviolet photography, uh, especially ultraviolet fluorescence, where you basically just hit a subject with a huge, like an obscene amount of ultraviolet light and exclusively ultraviolet light. And then you record the visible light that bounces back as fluorescence. And you would be surprised as to how many things glow in magical ways. Um, again, all the unseen world stuff. Photography yeah. ends up then being a tool for me to just see the world differently. And that's what keeps me passionate about it. Uh, it's, it's really exciting stuff. I love to see the, the work that you do. And the way you get there is almost more interesting to me than the actual work itself. <laughs> the, the things that you do to, to get your photos is amazing. Well, when I, okay, when I share a final image and I show you the process to get there and you're like, wow, that was a zigzag <laughs> rabbit hole that I had no idea. But, you know, a lot of those rabbit holes I go down end up as a dead end. And so you don't end up seeing an image as a result from that. It's just me thinking, okay, well, I'll come back to tinker with that in a few months when I might get another spark of inspiration. And there's about 50 of those ideas that are just kind of in limbo right now because there's never enough time. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Very amazing stuff. We could do like a... Uh, multiple shows, I'm sure, just talking through that. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> I asked Don to come on. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted Don to come on and be with me on, on Photo Taco was that he's got a relatively new podcast that he launched the latter half of 2017, right, Don? Yep. Yeah, it's called Photo Geek Weekly. And uh, it took me, I think, six episodes before I found it. And I followed Don all over the place because I've just, like I said, I've loved his, the way he gets to the photos and the, the geeky things he does. Uh, man after my own heart and i was like oh he's got a new podcast and i didn't notice till six episodes in and <laughs> but i'm glad i did i found it and and if you like photo taco and if you like the technical stuff we talk about a lot 
you got to go check out his new Photo Geek Weekly podcast. And, uh, and I want to have Don on to talk through something geeky today that um, I kind of struggled to work through on the podcast myself. So uh, thank you, Don, for, for joining us today. And go check that out in any, in, uh, let's see, it's photogeekweekly.com. That's it's right. a website to go see that show, or you can just search and find it in any of your, your podcatchers, whatever it is you use. All right. As I mentioned at the top of the show, too, uh, my, fo- my workshop, Learn to Be a Camera Ninja, is all full at the Create Photography Retreat coming up here in March 2018. I'm excited to spend a half day with that small group of photographers and help them really understand how to use and operate their cameras. It's going to be tons of fun. It's going to be really fun at the retreat, too. If you, did, if you couldn't arrange your schedule to get to the retreat here in 2018, then look for some information either at improvephotography.com or through any of these Improve Photography podcasts, Photo Taco being one of them, and uh, information about the, uh, the retreat coming up in 2019. All right, Don, now that now the announcements are all done, I want your help on a topic that I've covered twice already on Photo Taco, oh and boy. apparently I have not done a good enough job <laughs> because there's still... It's like one of the most predominant questions I get from listeners, and they tend to send me lots of their technical questions because I, on the Improved Photography Network, I'm kind of the, the technical geek. And, um, and so I, I haven't done a good enough job of answering it, I guess. So I'm, I'm hoping by bringing on Don, kind of like ra- raising the geek level even higher, <laughs> then, that we can finally have people make sense of this. And uh, hopefully it'll just be like, when this question next pop up, I'll just send him a link to this episode and, and it'll explain it, <laughs> explain it all for him. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Now, uh, this topic is one that I almost didn't say yes to. Because I I feel your pain in terms of how you can get the message across clearly to a lot of different people. But here I am, and uh, and we're going to make the best go of it possible. All right. So the topic today is DPI. All right. So so Don, I've heard you go into detail on like sensor resolutions and the impact that has on diffusion and 4K video and. With that level of understanding of things, it might seem like DPI should be a pretty simple topic. Um, But I want to set the stage just a little bit. There's two questions I've chosen out of the hundreds I've had over the last two or three years. And uh, and I want to kind of, I want to say what the questions were, and then we're going to try to tackle the questions and, uh, and see if we can make sense of it for everybody. So the first one was a question that said, I did a headshot for a program, quote unquote program. I delivered it at 2000 by 3000 pixels and 300 DPI. Now I get a note that it's not high res enough and not 300 DPI, but this is a, this is from someone just relating what they were told by the program people. Shouldn't my specs be high res enough? Not sure what they're looking for. So there's the first question, and then we'll go through it. So hang on a second. And then the second one was, I have a file that is 17 megabytes and 4480 by 6720 at 300 DPI. Do you have a chart that shows how big it can be printed? All right. So like I mentioned, Don, I've already tried this twice. And it could be that listeners are not finding the Improved Photography Network or they're just new to it. And they haven't heard my previous episodes that where I tried to explain it. But I wanted, I wanted to have you try to give it a, a go and see if someone else can make sense of it for the listeners. Uh, honestly, I think, or personally, I think that a good portion of the confusion comes from the way Adobe presents the concept of DPI in their export windows, the dialog boxes that come up. 
because it's always there and in front of you and people automatically assume because it's there that it's being applied when they're exporting and that's not really the case so will you take a couple minutes talk about what dpi is and and try to kind of give a general idea of what this thing is well, I want to get back around to the Adobe export dialog boxes at some point because there is a huge error that Adobe, I think, is making on that point. But we've got to dial back. We have to take a look at what that phrase actually means, DPI, dots per inch. So specifically, that gives us two clues as to what this is in its traditional and purposeful meaning, dots. That's that's not computer monitors. That's not pixels. There's PPI, pixels per inch. That's a different thing. DPI is dots. That's in print. That is physically printing something. And inch, of course, that is a physical measurement of distance. These are two very important things to keep in mind when we are thinking about what DPI is and how it's relevant to us, because it has absolutely no bearing on the resolution of our photograph. Right. So right. Um, if we have an image that is, you know, uh, like in, in the in the message here, 2000 by 3000 or the other way around, it's easier if I use the 3000 pixels as the long edge. Uh, and we think, okay, 3000 pixels and then 300 dots per inch. Well, you can get 10 inches at 300 DPI if you have 3000 pixels across, but that's only ever relevant if you are physically printing it at a specific size. Exactly. Okay, now in, exactly. in today's day, how many times are you actively printing every image that you produce or that you are asked for? Well, I mean, I work for magazines uh, on occasion, and even then, the editors will ask for a specific resolution in pixels and then a DPI. <laughs> And that's completely irrelevant. I mean, you ask for one, say if you need something that's eight by 10 at 300 DPI, well, that makes perfect sense because I can calculate the number of pixels that that encapsulates within that, right? right. But if people are giving me an arbitrary pixel resolution and a DPI, the DPI is 100% irrelevant. It does not matter whatever because the person hasn't associated a physical size. The DPI, the inch in DPI, DPI requires a physical dimension. So without that, you know, people are just confused. Now, as a photographic educator, uh, as both of us are, yeah. I have had to educate a lot of people about this. The problem is, when I'm talking to magazines and editors, that they, in their mind, know exactly what they're talking about. So I can't say, okay, sit down here, sweet summer child. This is the way the world works. <laughs> right. Um, that's that, it, They're not going to be very receptive to that. So I guess to some degree, let, let's go back to the Adobe dialog box, because especially on Lightroom, for example, and I just pulled it up before the show because I don't typically export from Lightroom, but I wanted to see if this was still a problem. Right. And it is. Adobe hasn't fixed this. Um, again, keeping in mind physical dimensions. If I'm in that export dialog box, if I'm choosing pixels and I have nothing relative to inches or any physical size, the DPI box is still available. Yes. Now, you can test this yourself. You could put a value of one in there and load up your exported image. You could put a value of 9,999 in there and load up your exported image. Your images will look identical. There is absolutely no difference whatsoever to your image. There is a caveat to that, and I'm going to get to it. But um, if you are giving an image to a client and for whatever reason they have it stuck in their head that they need it 300 DPI or more or whatever, just set it to 
800 DPI. Make them happy. <laughs> I mean, you, if you either have the choice of schooling somebody on what DPI means or just setting an arbitrarily high value that is meaningless and act, making it act like a placebo for them to be happy about. There is one relevance to the setting, though, and it is important in some cases. When you're using a graphical layout program like Adobe InDesign or Adobe Illustrator, when you take an image and bring it in, it references the DPI value for a page layout because the page layout that you're bringing this into is already a predefined physical size. And so in the case of the um, 2000 by 3000 uh, image, well, then it will take that in and make it uh, 10,000 pixels tall or wide, whichever one is the 3,000, at 300 DPI, if that's what it was set to within to that workspace. Now, that can be rescaled to any size once you're in that space. But if you are talking to a magazine and they have requested specific sizes um, where they know that um, that this image is going to be printed as like a four by four inch square thing in the corner and they're requesting a four inch by four inch at 300 DPI, they know exactly what they want and you deliver it to them because it's going to print. Again, this all has to do with the final process being a physical print. And if that's not the case, then DPI doesn't necessarily matter. Now, we should also take into account um, what the 300 in this equation is everybody's thinking 300 dpi well where does that number arbitrarily <laughs> right, right, come from as right. well right because yep. that could be any number you could imagine that's right um print uh starts i guess the lowest resolution in newsprint which is around 72 dpi and if you nose up to newsprint you can clearly see that it's not really high quality yeah you see those um, individual pixels really really clearly in that individual yeah. dots yeah, yeah. and uh and if you go up to um, you know the the entry level uh, you know, photo printers, they are 300 DPI. The higher end ones go to 600. I think Epson even has 720 DPI printers. Um, there is diminishing returns when you go higher than 300 DPI, though, because the human eye can't really see a difference right. uh, within that. So 300 is kind of that setting where if if you can get there, you're good enough for almost every possible scenario. But what a lot of people don't realize is you can be less than that, especially at bigger print sizes, and still have it look glorious and beautiful. Because if you have a bigger print, you're standing farther away from that print on a regular basis. You're not going to be like right up close to it like you would be hand-holding a, a 4 by 6 and, and inspecting that in a photo album or whatever it happens to be. So... Um, you can easily get away with 200, even 150 DPI in certain cases uh, and have an exceptional print quality. The print medium also comes into play here. Again, we're going down rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> uh, for, for example, I print a lot of, uh, of canvas. Right. And canvas is so very forgiving for low resolution. Uh, and because the medium itself has a texture, that hides any, uh, any reduction in quality of a lower resolution photograph in terms of the number of dots per inch that it's putting out there. And uh, in order to, because I know that the dots are smoothing, you know, dots are not pixels with hard edges. They can right. kind of bleed together a little bit. Uh, and when I have a, uh, a lower resolution print, I'll actually smooth things out using software that I've used for many years uh, from On One, which is On One Perfect Resize. Uh -huh. And now the newest version of Photoshop with their uh, Preserve Details 2.0 is every bit as good as Perfect Resize uh, from On One. And so I've done some side-by-side -side tests of these things. What, what this basically does is if your image is 
uh, is too low resolution. Say you had to crop in quite a bit or you're using an older camera that's only 10 or 12 megapixels and your client is, is asking for more. Well, there's intelligent ways to scale that up. Um, these uh, pieces of software use fractal algorithms that uh, say, well, my, and they'll define a curve and they'll make sure that that curve stays nice and crisp and sharp. Uh, and they'll define certain barriers and certain contrast areas that are preserved um, algorithmically, not just a regular, uh, you know, scale up and scale down kind of thing. There's a lot more secret sauce going on behind the scenes. Whenever I print on canvas or whenever I print big, I run my prints through uh, now the preserved details 2.0 algorithm. And uh, sometimes you can even get great results when you scale it up and then scale it back down. Uh, because those fractal algorithms, especially if you're putting something on the web, you want it to be as pristine as possible. There's lots of tricks for you to play around with this kind of resolution here. So there, that, that, that is a, a foundation. Let's call it a foundation. We're going to build on that, Jeff. But uh, what are your opinions on what I've said so far? Well, I, I, this is exactly where I wanted to go. And, and this, the reason I wanted to bring you on specifically for this topic was you mentioned the, uh, the new function available in Photoshop on a Geek, uh, Photo Geek Weekly. And I thought, oh, I've got all these questions about DPI. We've got to talk about this. So I have also been a huge fan of On, of, uh, on One Resize. Uh, I have used it all the time whenever I'm going to be sending out uh, large files for print. And uh, it does a fantastic job. I have yet to use the new, what's it called? The uh, Preserve Details Detail. 2.0. Yeah. All right. So I haven't used that yet. Uh, can you walk through? Let, let, a, lot of, a lot of the listeners probably don't have resize. I've always, when I've had this question, I've told them, oh, you can use resize. And they're like, oh, that's another program I have to go buy. <laughs> and they don't, they don't want to go there. So, um, and I, oh, Photoshop can do it. I was told them in the past, and, but it just doesn't quite do as good a job as what Resize did. But now that you're telling me Photoshop does every bit as good a job, can you walk through? Because the listeners have Photoshop. Most of them have that. So walk through kind of how you get there and how do you use that in Photoshop? So it's the uh, image size feature in Photoshop, and I don't even know where it is in the menus, but uh, the keyboard shortcut is um, Control-Alt or uh, a command option uh, I. Uh, if you're on a PC or Mac. So Control-Alt-I or Command-Option-I um, will bring up the dialog box that will allow you to change the image size. Now, um, what I'll typically do if I'm sending something to print is before I've done that, I've cropped it with physical dimensions. So in the crop tool, you can specifically specify, uh, redundant, I know, but you, you can specify <laughs> um, that it's physical dimensions. So if, if I'm typing in uh, like 10 and I uh, just type in the letters IN for inch, then it'll know that that's a physical dimension without me having to go through the drop down box and choose all the different stuff. So I can choose the exact size that I want for the print. And then when I bring up the Control Alt I box, it will show me the DPI that is relevant to that physical print size. Right. And so I can change that number to be whatever it is that my client might be asking for. Uh, say if it's 300 DPI that they're at and it's more than 300, well, then that's fine. I'll just leave it as it is. But if it's less, I can scale it up to 300 or 600. My printer prints uh, 600 DPI. So I just, whenever I go to print, I always just set it to 600 DPI. Even if it's an imperceptible difference, it costs me nothing but a few seconds to scale things up and send it out. So you can set that number, but then you've got a drop-down box of different uh, sampling methods, uh, if I'm using the terminology correctly, because I don't have that dialog box in it front of my head right now. It says resample. There's a checkbox next to it that says resample, and it defaults to automatic. That's where it's 
by default, that's what it's going to have. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> click on that box, that drop-down box. It yep. says automatic, and you'll see Preserve Details 2.0, which is only available in uh, Photoshop CC 2018. All right, so I, I wanted to make sure that was clear to everyone, too. So, yeah, I'm looking at it in 2018 right now, and you have choices of Preserve Details Enlargement, Preserve Details 2.0, which is the one we're talking about that we want to use. There's Bicubic Smoother Enlargement. There's Bicubic Sharper Reduction bicubic smooth gradients nearest neighbor hard edges and bilinear so there's a ton of choices there you're a recommending a lot of those are baggage uh, <laughs> a lot of those are so old from the earliest versions of photoshop but if they remove one of those some curmudgeonly yes. uh, art director somewhere <laughs> is going to be up in arms and so photoshop has so much baggage and you'll find it when you get into the weeds of these menus so right. a lot of that stuff you can ignore um Typically, though, when I'm scaling things down considerably, I found that the Preserve Details 2.0, when you're reducing the resolution of something, like when I'm putting it up on the web, um, it tends to over-sharpen just a bit too much for my liking. So I tend to, when I'm scaling things down, uh, to use the, uh, the bicubic uh, smoothest gradients. Okay. And then I will take a second sharpening uh, step that I know I can control. Right. So I'll either run that image through a camera raw filter and use the sharpening algorithm within that, um, or however you like to sharpen your images. I don't want to give people, uh, you know, steer them off of something that they're already working well with. But um, when you're just scaling the image up or down, you don't want it to also be sharpening as it shrinks it because then you don't know exactly what it's going to be until you see it. Uh, so I usually like to do that as a separate step. But when enlarging it, that Preserve Details 2.0 is as good as um, Preserve Details. It's equal but different uh, as, sorry, uh, as um, uh, the Genuine Fractals uh, from uh, On One, which is now called Perfect Resize, uh, which, by the way, I've done some tests. Uh, going back versions and versions with Genuine Fractals, every time a new version came out and then they renamed it Perfect Resize and so on and so forth and they're adding new features, um, the algorithm's the same. All the way back to their original, as far as I can tell with my tests, they haven't improved their algorithm at all. So Photoshop coming along, they're, I don't know, maybe a decade late with this compared to <laughs> what On One has had uh, in the past. But... On one hasn't improved it either. So they're now equal, and who knows who's going to come out. Maybe this lights a fire under on one, and they decide to, to improve and, and make things better. But when you look at the, uh, the details, they're phenomenal. And uh, I've got a print behind me uh, on the wall of my studio. It's lightning blasting across uh, my city's harbor front. And it was taken with a Canon 5D Mark II, which is a 21 megapixel image. But this image is an 80 by 20 print. So that's about a third of that because I had to crop two thirds of it off to right, get this right. panoramic view, right? So it wasn't, you didn't do a panoramic shot. It was a single shot. And you had to crop off the top and the bottom. To get the yeah, well, actually, I had aimed the camera more up towards the sky because I had no idea where lightning was going to come oh, down from. Right, right. So I cropped two thirds off the top because the lightning was right around okay, the horizon. Okay. Um, and uh, because it's lightning from a single frame, there's no panoramic options. Uh, it has to be done in a single shot. Absolutely. So that gives me, you know, 21 divided by three is around seven megapixels worth of resolution. And I've printed it as an 80 inch wide print. It looks beautiful. 
Now, I had to use Perfect Resize, and I went in and I did some very selective sharpening, and I spent a lot of time editing to make sure that it would withstand that. And if it was a photographic print on a glossy paper, it would probably look really ugly. It's printed on canvas, which makes it look pretty good. Uh, and again, you're standing further back. There's a couch in front of it, so you can't actually get right up close <laughs> to it. So that helps too. Right. Um, but there's a lot of different ways for us to explore and understand this whole dots per inch concept. But I want to bring this right back to the beginning. It It's physical size, and it's the number of dots within a physical parameter. Um, anybody that's putting something on Facebook or um, you know putting it on like a, a display, I've entered photo contests, and even like from like, professional organizations, and they say, uh, you know, set the, res the resolution of our display uh, is, you know, whatever, uh, uh, 38, 20 by 2160 or whatever the, the uh, UHD size is. Yeah. Uh, so please submit your images at that resolution at 300 DPI. <laughs> and it's like, really? <laughs> no. Right. But, you know, I, I, I do. I, and I'll set that little flag to 300 DPI, even if it's irrelevant, because they say very specifically, if your images don't meet these requirements, you may be disqualified. And wouldn't it just be a kicker if you were disqualified because for some reason that DPI flag was set incorrectly, even yeah, yeah. though it was 100% meaningless? Just because the metadata wasn't there in the file that said it was 300 DPI. Yeah, that would be that would be bad. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So when we talk about print and we talk about upscaling and, and how we can get away with the best, um, if you're dealing with a smaller print that you know is up to 300 DPI is, is largely something that you look for. If your print is going to be anywhere lower than, say, 200 DPI uh, at whatever size that you're going to be scaling it uh, in terms of, say, you're making a 16 by 20. Well, there's no camera. Uh, on the market right now, like in, in terms of uh, you know, 35 millimeter, like full frame uh, sizes, medium formats different, but uh, that can print even a 20 by 16 print at 300 dpi. The resolution would be astronomical. Um, I'm not even sure what it would be in megapixels, but it's beyond what we've got right now. Um, so when I look at the second question here that we have in our listing, the, the resolution, the, uh, the the longest edge is, I think it's uh, 6720. 6720 yep. Right. And so 6720 at 300 DPI is, uh, well, let me, uh, forgive me for a second here. I'm just going to bring up a calculator uh, because it's really easy to calculate this. You just take that number because uh, that would be uh, 6720 divided by... Uh, 300. Yep. And it's, uh, I mean, it's 22. So maybe you could get there at that resolution. Um, but uh, it, it, well, it would be... It fits on, on the, the 22, but I don't think it fits on the other side. Right. Well, I probably not. Uh, that would be f just under 15, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, so you're not going to get there necessarily. And of course, the larger you go, you know, you're leaving that 300 DPI magic number in the dust, right? right? That doesn't matter. You can fudge it. You, you can you, you can upscale it if you need to, uh, although those upscaling techniques typically work best when you're doubling the resolution or so. If you're just nudging it up by like 10 or 20%, doesn't really matter which way you do it. Uh, it's all going to give you pretty similar results. And at that point, it's not even really necessary. But if you're really bringing it up to make it quite big, it's going to be helpful. There was another point on that question, though, in terms of the physical storage size right. of, of the image. And this is another conversation uh, that I, I get into arguments uh, on occasionally 
because, <laughs> you know, whenever I'm uploading something to a, a, a contest or, you know, an image salon or whatever it happens to be, they'll give a, a minimum uh, file size that and a maximum, like the minimum one megabyte, maximum five megabytes or whatever it happens to be. And so I'll use my snowflake images as an example. They're always on a black background. Now, that's very compressible. Right, uh, whenever you're right. saving an image as a JPEG or when you're saving a TIFF file, you can choose to save it in a zip format and that compresses things quite a bit. Um, if an image has a blank area, like a, uh, a, a bright blue sky across the frame, right? That, the, the file size of that image is going to be smaller than if you pointed the camera down at grass, right? That file size is going to be larger because yeah. it's got a lot more complexity and a lot more detail. It doesn't mean one image is better than the other based on the file size. I've actually found that if I take pictures with my fisheye lens, the file size is almost always larger because the compression is done on a linear basis right. and the fisheye lens curves everything and it can't compress things as much. So uh, the I, I've often had to like take a file that's perfect for print, perfect for anything, saved as like a, in Photoshop, like a level 10 JPEG. And you don't really ever need to go beyond that right. uh, for, for any final deliverable purpose. And I've had to go in and just resave the file at like level 12 maximum, just so that the <laughs> to, file size is larger so, <laughs> so that it meets their requirements. And it, 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 it doesn't make any sense to me. We have plenty more to talk about, and we're gonna we have we have to geek out a lot more. But before we do, it is time to take a quick break and thank our sponsors for this episode. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Are you ready to start your new business, launch your photography business, or just take your ideas and make them available to the world? Well, you can make them stand out with Squarespace. Squarespace is just a really easy way to start your website. They have 24-7 customer support. The templates are really beautiful, so it looks polished and professional right from the gate, never looks homemade, and your website is yours. You can customize it, change it, quickly update it anytime you want, all with Squarespace's easy-to-navigate interface. Destiny is calling, and it says it needs a new website. Make it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code IMPROVE. And we thank Squarespace for their long-standing support of this podcast. I've always been a big fan of their platform. Yeah, that, and that was the point I wanted to make about that last question, at least the first half of it, was we have those three metrics there, the three numbers. You have 17 megabytes, you have a resolution of the photo, the original pixels that are in the photo, 4480 by 6720, and 300 dpi. And the, the photographer was telling me, here is what my information about the photo is, and I could tell by the way they were asking the question, they felt like those things, those three things are all fully related to one another. They are all mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, here's an interesting thing to consider as well. You know, the resolution of the, the image is not the resolution of the sensor. Right. So the, the camera sensor has more photosites, is what they're called, the, the pixel pickups that actually detect light than the final resolution of the image. Um, I know, for example, again, that 5D Mark II that I uh, have a print of on the wall, still have the camera, haven't used it in forever. But I remember reading when I bought it, the uh, the resolution of the sensor was 22 megapixels, but the resulting images were 21.1 megapixels. And I was always scratching my head at that to say, okay, well, wh where is this differential coming from? 
because the sensor for every one of its uh, photo sites, it will only be recording one color red, green, or blue. There's a, a Bayer pattern is the standard color filter array that's on most cameras, although some Fuji cameras use a different one. Right, right. Um, that uh, It's just a different array of, of the same uh, colors. Like red, how they're laid blue. out on the sensor. Exactly. So the standard array is a, a, an array of red, green, red, green, red, green, red, green, and then the next row is green, blue, green, blue, green, blue, green, blue. Um, it'll make an array of four pixels that has one red, one blue, and two green. And the camera or the software that interprets the raw data could happen in camera could happen in Lightroom or whatever raw processor you use looks at that array of four pixels and decides what its value should be for a single RGB color and then what it does is it shifts over one set so it loses two pixels and it gains two and it does another interpolation to figure out what another pixel should be and it does that for the entire row across and then it shifts down by by one so then now it does a, a, an entire new array and figures that all. So all it is, is interpolating. It's called demosaicing to figure out this information. Uh, why am I mentioning this? Because a raw file from your camera might be, let's arbitrarily say 20 megapixels. But if you edit that without cropping it in any way, and you save that as a TIFF file, that TIFF file might be 80 megabytes in size. Why the heck does it go up so high in file size, right? right. Well, because for every one of those, uh, let's say, 22 million pixels on the sensor, you have one value, and it's a 14-bit value. So it's between 0 and 16,000 and something, okay? Whereas for every value in the TIFF file, assuming you're saving it as a 16-bit TIFF, which you should, um, then each one of those dots has three values, right, one right. for red, one for green, and one for blue. And each of them aren't a value between 0 and 16,000. It's a, between 0 and 65,000. Uh, so there's a lot more information stored in one dot multiplied by 21.1 versus one dot multiplied by 22 million. So you can see how the file size can balloon up quite drastically once you start mucking about and uh, and dealing with the raw data, converting it into actual numbers that are relevant to us to look at as a photograph or as a print. And depending on how much uh, redundant or repeated information is in there. That's when you mentioned the zip format of TIFF. When, it's, when you save it in that size, the algorithm looks through that photo and says, is there a, a color? We'll... we'll, we'll it's hard to use the terms to make sure it's clear, but is there a, let's just call it a pixel. Is there a pixel in here that is repeated a lot of times where I can say, I'm going to, I'm going to encode it in the file to say, there's this one pixel, here's the information. And, and then I'm going to use, I'm going to say that that's here hundreds of thousands of times in the file and not have to have all the information every time. So exactly, like zip compression when you're uh, putting a bunch of files into a zip archive on your computer. What it's going to do is it's going to look for a pattern. Does this string of characters appear more than once? And if it does, well, we're going to reference that by a single character and put that character in a chart that we will then use it to decompress and turn that character back into the full string at the end of it. And right. so, well, you said one particular color appearing a lot. Well, that can happen. But what if there's a gradient across the sky? 
that is very, very much uh, the same for, let's say, the top third of the image, where a lot of those pixels in a row are all identical right, right, cascading right. across the frame, then it can it can really compress that quite heavily because it's not just one row, but it's multiple rows that it can combine together. Right. So these algorithms can really reduce the file size uh, without, and it's important to state this, without compromising the quality of the image. Right. You're not losing anything in the process. It's lossless compression so so when that had 17 megabytes and then they right after that said 4480 by 6720 though the only way those two things are related was you can have a whole bunch of photos that are exactly that same pixel dimension but when you go to save it you're going to end up with way different file sizes depending on the details and the information of what it is you're shooting exactly now i can tell if you've got a photo uh, a photo of that resolution and it's 17 megabytes, I can guarantee you that's a JPEG. That is not going to be a TIFF file of right. any flavor because right. uh, the, the TIFF information would be drastically higher than that. Now, I can't tell you how much it's compressed necessarily, um, but keep in mind too that the, the largest file size that you could typically send without any hiccups through email is around 20 megabytes, though a lot of servers accept stuff larger than that these days. Um, so if you're sending a photo to a client, and they're asking for something higher resolution. Well, if you're already sending them a 17 megabyte file, you might not be able to send them anything bigger through email. So you'd have to use a, a, a third-party uh, software like uh, wetransfer.com that will let you just you know load up to two gigabytes or whatever, and it sends them a link. Uh, and you know what? Some people are just happy when they get a big file. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, it, it is a placebo effect to some degree. That's true. And, That's true. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I've got a client that I, uh, I, I, I've got five or six clients that I do editing for, and uh, I provide them all with JPEGs so that they can see the results. And uh, then I provide them all with the TIFF files uh, that are, you know, many multiple gigabytes in size when I, when I give them the, the whole archive of them. And I don't know if they're going to send them to a printer or anything, but it's just, it's good peace of mind for people to have the highest quality results. That's really what this whole conversation is about. Is, people absolutely. are wanting the highest quality results. And, you know, if they get like a, you know, a, a 50 megapixel image and it's set to one DPI, well, I mean, the people are going to say, well, that, that, that can't be. That is so low resolution. That doesn't, I, oh, I, I, I got to complain. I got to get this set right. Well, not really. Again, because the DPI is only about the physical print and physical dimensions at the end of the day. So I got to hammer that home. Um, but like I've said, so many people in the industry, uh, working professionals that are high up within different organizations are flummoxed by this just as much as, as we might be. So it's not you, it's everybody. And so if you consider yourself well-educated about this, you are a diamond in the rough and keep shining, please. Uh, don't, don't get tarnished by, by the industry opinions about what DPI actually means. Um, I did mention earlier too, Jeff, uh, PPI, yeah, uh, yeah. pixels per inch. And that's an important distinction that we might as well sure. uh, wind off the discussion about. Are you familiar with what PPI is referring to? So, yeah, so that, that's going to be, and, and this is very different too. It's, it's, a, it's a whole other topic where um, the way that we see things on something that's physical and printed and uh, is different from what you see on the electronic monitor that you might be looking at as you're editing the photos and that's where the pixels per inch can come into play versus the dpi and because your monitor is physical too you have inches 
width and height of your monitor, and you have a certain resolution that, that your monitor's capable of displaying at, and that will tell you kind of what your pixels per inch, how many little pixels on the screen you're looking at has that they can go across and, and up and down with. Um, and that changes a lot. It's, it's gone from really small numbers to uh, to much higher numbers. You have it on uh, uh, the iPhone has has touted this quite a, quite heavily as they've created their various uh, screens and displays where they're talking about pixels per inch and talking about how how uh, the the eye is able to distinguish each individual pixel when they at what resolution they can and cannot, and it's, it can be a challenge thinking about that versus what we're talking about with DPI. So I'm glad you're bringing it up. Um, so that's, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, well, I, when, I, when I go back in time to when I bought my first um, LCD monitor, it was, I think the resolution was 800 by 600. Yeah. Um, and I was previously using a CRT monitor, you know, the oh, big yeah. tubes and all that, Monsters. at the same resolution. And it was just absolutely night and day difference when I moved to solidly defined edges of those pixels. It was so much more crisp and clear, even though the resolution was the same and the monitor size was pretty much the same as well. So, uh, when you're dealing with pixels, they're not bleeding outside the edges uh, when you're dealing with a modern display. Now, you can get a 4K resolution in a smartphone. Sure. You can get it on a 20-inch display. I've got a, a 4K display here that's 32 inches in size. So, you're taking the same number of pixels and spreading it out over a greater number of inches, and thereby you have a lower pixels per inch ratio. Um, now, keeping in mind that Apple, as you mentioned, with their uh, retina, retina displays, right. as they call them, um, there's only so much that the human retina, as they're referring to, can resolve on a display, especially if it's a smartphone that is held at a standard viewing distance away. And having a higher resolution than that is somewhat meaningless because your eyes won't be able to distinguish it. And there's other ways to improve the quality of a display, including black levels and viewing angles, etc. But um, when you're dealing with the pixels per inch, it's important to note that if you scale an image to be like a full 4K display uh, resolution, you know, somebody can view that on something as small as they can fit in their hands. And it's meaningless right. to have it necessarily at that resolution depending on what the end result is. So, for example, if you're sending stuff to Instagram or putting stuff on Facebook, the majority of people that are going to be viewing that content are going to be viewing it on a mobile platform. And so the resolution does not need to be great. Uh, but if you're using other services that might be more viewable on a desktop, I'm not sure how many people, I don't have the numbers in front of me that use Flickr or 500px or whatever on a desktop versus mobile. Um, I'm sure there are some services where a desktop environment is going to give you um, the, the higher resolution and you might want to scale your images differently. When I'm uploading images to the web, um, I typically give a lower resolution image to Facebook and Twitter and things like that, uh, particularly because Facebook compresses the heck out of everything. Uh, yeah, regardless, regardless. regardless of your resolution. I, I've heard that myth over and over and over. Oh, if you scale it at this, it won't touch it. No, it's, they're no, going no, to touch it, it, it just, every it time, it. no matter what you, you upload it at, they are going to redo it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you, you know what? Facebook does have some draconian uh, terms in terms of what they could potentially do with your image, although they, I don't think that they ever would because, uh, you know, people would be up in arms about it. Uh, but I don't want to give them the full resolution because of their particular policies about that. But I'll put the full resolution up on Flickr and uh, Google Plus and wherever. And Google Plus, for those that still use it, uh, <laughs> has, a, has a really great feature where you can uh, use the scroll wheel on your mouse and just magnify in on it. And it'll reveal the full resolution image using similar technology that Google Maps uses. When you zoom into a greater level, it tiles a higher resolution version of the map in front of you. Um, and they do that when you're viewing photos on Google+. And so the full resolution image can be enjoyed on some of those services. Um, and then people come back to me and they say, well, you know what, Don, I, I really don't feel comfortable putting my full resolution images on the web. I mean, what if somebody steals it? Valid point, but... If somebody steals your image, they were never going to pay you for it, right? no matter what, right? It's not like they're saying, oh, you know what, this is a low-res image, but you know what, I'm going to have to pay the photographer to get a higher-res image in order to print it. Let's go and do that. No. <laughs> that, that, what, there is no possible scenario where that's going to happen. Um, it's like when you go to a movie uh, theater and they have the the warning at the very beginning saying that piracy is a crime, please do not record this film. Yeah, like that's going to stop the person that's sitting there just ready to bootleg it and said, you know what? Jeez, I didn't know this was wrong. <laughs> I, You know, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to pack this up and go home. Um, so when when you when you upload a really low resolution image or you you plaster a watermark over it, the only thing that you're doing is hurting the people that are trying to enjoy your work. So I typically will have a lower resolution image, maybe 1500 pixels across for certain services like Facebook and whatever, and a very nondescript watermark in the bottom corner. Um, and in terms of resolution, if somebody wanted to print that, the DPI would be so low if they wanted to make even like a 10 inch print it would just be like 15 dpi or just something ridiculous um that they would have no meaningful ability to create something useful right. um or it would be higher than that i, I i'm being somewhat facetious here but if they were to go and do that anyhow they were never ever going to be my customer right so they would put like a crummy facebook photo in a frame who does that <laughs> well, right. maybe my grandmother does that of photos of her grandkids, but it's not like it's a commercial endeavor that she's stifling. Right. Um, so anyhow, that's a bit of a soapbox that I got on there. <laughs> I do apologize. No problem. Okay, I want to go back to um, the communication when... So we, we had the question with the, the listener who was sending the results, the photos they were hired to produce to their their client. And the client sends back and says, I need 300 DPI. And he, he, he had enough resolution in there. There wasn't anything that they needed. What the challenge was is the, the client, all they understood was certain DPI, and they just heard it. They don't know what that even means usually. And, uh, and they couldn't describe for him really what they needed, they were trying to do with this, where they, they were finding it wasn't high enough resolution. Um, so, I, I mean, I've, I've experienced something similar myself. I've had lots of clients who say, hey, when I go to print this at Costco, because uh, I delivered a <laughs> digital print, when I go to print it at Costco and I upload it and I say I want a 20 by 30 of this, it says it gives me a little yellow exclamation point that says it's not big enough, not going to work. And it's true. It, the print, the, the image, was, it didn't have enough pixels in it. It doesn't have anything to do with the DPI. It didn't have enough pixels in it 
for it to pass the check that Costco was doing to say, yeah, there's enough pixels here for this to look good in that size of print that you're gonna that you're choosing. Again, because Costco is calculating in the physical size at right. that point, at that point with the resolution, they're now and doing it. It is coming up with its own DPI value based on the numbers of physical size and number of pixels. Yeah. Um, so if you've got that and you can calculate the DPI, that's when that flag comes up and says, hey, we are seeing through our own endeavors that your DPI is not high enough. It's not referencing whatever number happens to be arbitrarily in the file. Right. But when I have this experience, the client usually says, hey, I need a higher DPI of this photo. Um, and, and it's not clear, like, and the way I approach it is to say, what are you trying to do with the photo that's not working? What is it that you need to do? And then when they say, well, I'm trying to do a 20 by 30 print, oh, I can help with that. Now I know what I need to do. You're right. That's There's not quite enough pixels. I need to go I'll use resize or now maybe Photoshop and and, uh, and go do that so that it will meet the dimensions. And at least they won't get the warning. It probably would have worked anyway in many of the cases. They just get the, the default warning. Anyway, my question or the, what I wanted to ask you about is how do you approach when a client, they clearly don't understand the concept. They don't know what it is. They're trying to use like a technical term, but they're misusing it. How do you go about trying to resolve that situation, communicate with them to figure out what, what they need, what you need to do? Well, if the client is like a one-time client, like you're expecting this to be a singular transaction, or maybe they might come back to you a few years from now for something else, but it's not going to be a regular interaction with this person, don't educate them. I mean, it's... I mean, I would say oh, try to educate every client, sure, but then you will waste all of your yeah, time yeah. because it is so pervasive and it will take so much effort and they're still probably not going to get it. So at that point... You know, just bring it into Photoshop, use Preserve Details 2.0, make it 4,000 by 6,000 at 600 DPI and send them that file. <laughs> it's At the end of the day, the client will be happy with that as a deliverable. And it takes you so little effort to do. And everybody's happy. The, the, the problem still exists with the the, I guess, the delusions of what DPI actually mean. Uh, but unless it's somebody that you're dealing with on a regular basis, maybe send them this conversation, you know, point them towards this particular uh, episode yeah. of Photo Taco where they can be educated on it. But the point is that the average person doesn't want to know. Right, right. They would love to remain ignorant. And even if you try to educate them on this, their eyes will glaze over and you're going to be talking to a wall. So just... Give them whatever arbitrary DPI value that they're asking for. And if the resolution isn't higher, just scale it up and send it to them instead because that's all they need. Chances are you're giving them something far greater than what they actually need anyhow. And just make them happy. Just right. scale it up and send it on their way. Okay, I, I hate I hate for that to be the answer to this. But at the end of the day, I've dealt with this so many times that you know what, I just throw my hands in the air and say, okay, here well, you go. That's sort of where I'm at too. This is the third time we're, we're trying to tackle the topic and uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see on the, based on the response from the listeners uh, how, how, we, uh, how we did here. But I hope, we're, I hope it's making some sense as we go through it. Okay, one, one final thing and then we'll kind of end the, the episode here. When a photographer is faced with those terrible export dialog boxes and trying to decide what to do, what kind of a process, is there a, a thought process that you could recommend for a photographer to do? Maybe, they, maybe this whole discussion we just went through was like, oh gosh, that was over my head. I do not understand what Don and Jeff are even talking about here. 
what can they do to try to to make some sort of sense out of that so they have a chance to get it right? Well, number one, I always save two versions of my images. Um, one is a master TIFF file. And this is the one that I could always go back to, whether I'm in Lightroom or whether I open it up in Photoshop or any other editor that is the full resolution, um, usually unmodified in terms of scaling uh, that I can go back to and I can work with based on whatever output is required. Um, so that sits in a special archive that I have in my, uh, in my main um, storage device called Processed Images divided by whatever uh, folder category sure. it's in. Uh, and that's in the root of that folder. And then I have a subfolder in there that has lower resolution JPEGs. And so once I've done the first one, and I set this as a, as a preset uh, in, in Lightroom to export so that I could export as, as a master and then I can export separately as a high res or a low res JPEG, depending on what I need it to do. And when I'm exporting a high resolution JPEG, that's for you know my Google Plus or my Flickr, where I'm putting it out there full resolution. Um, I don't scale things down, and I don't really have to worry about what the DPI setting is. Like right. we mentioned before, that's irrelevant. Set it to nine 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 if you want. Uh, it doesn't make any blink of difference. Right. So, in there. I found through, you know, uh, reading blog posts and my own experiments that you don't need to ever save a JPEG at its full 100% or in Photoshop, the level 12 quality. Right, right. You can dial that back to 80% or a level 10 out of 12, somewhere in that neighborhood. And it is perfect for any digital display whatsoever. And right. you still have your master TIFF file if you want to make a print or something out of that. Um, and my lower resolution files, in Lightroom, I set the um, uh, the resolution to detect the long edge of uh, of the image, and I'll set that specifically to you know fourteen or fifteen hundred pixels. And again, DPI doesn't matter. You set right. it to one, it, it, it's even irrelevant. though it looks like it does. The dialog box, it's enabled. It's not grayed out. It looks like it's playing a role. It plays no role. It plays no role. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, when I set the, the, the longest edge, if it's square, then, of course, it's going to be 1,400 by 1,400 or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, and panoramic. Typically, if I'm uploading a really panoramic image, I'll loosen up on that. So I'll say, you know, 2,000 or 2,500 because I know that the uh, the vertical resolution is going to be pretty small. Um, but in basic standards, I have basically three presets in Lightroom. One for TIFF, one for high-res JPEG, and one for low-res JPEG. Um, and... All the JPEGs are at around 80% quality, and the TIFFs are just, you know, don't touch the resolution, uh, you know, just save it as it is and uh, and have that as a massive archive. Now, I should also state that I've got all of my raw data, uh, like unprocessed images on a NAS uh, storage array here that is lots and lots of space. My uh, fully completed images, uh, they might take up three or four terabytes in size at this point uh, as a master archive, I can fit that on a portable hard drive, just a USB, uh, USB powered portable drive. And they don't cost more than $100, I think, at this yeah, point in the right. game. Um, this is the best thing that you could do. Put all of your data on that. And if you have a relative close by, stick it in their closet. Or, you know, take out a safety deposit box at the bank, which cost me 50 bucks a year, uh, and stick that in there. And every, you know, six months or whatever, take it out, refresh it, you know, just wipe it clean and put all of your data back on it with all of your new stuff and what have you. Because heaven forbid, theft, fire, flood, whatever it happens to be, you don't want to lose those master images. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I save those TIFF files in a specific folder, 
because you've got that as a permanent backup now if you can get that off-site. And it's a really powerful thing for photographers to have. And then you could always re-reference that based on, hey, a client wants this image at such and such DPI or resolution. Well, load that up into Photoshop or Lightroom and give them what they want. Don't fuss, just give them what they want. Right, so <laughs> then, then at that point in the dialog box, you're gonna change from pixel dimensions on the export to inches. And then the DPI can help if you have to upsize. This is when you're scaling. Mm-hmm. Then you can do the, the DPI and Lightroom, both Lightroom and Photoshop will now increase the pixel dimensions when it outputs to meet those inch. Because now, now you've put in inches. You've gone to inches in the equation here. And now DPI means something when you're exporting. Exactly. But you have to know what the inches are. You do. Right? You have to be at the end game. You have to say, okay, the client wants a 30 by 20 print. Right. And you know at that point physical dimensions. Up until that point, physical dimensions don't exist. They're not even there. So DPI, again, is irrelevant. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I hope we covered it. (laughs) I hope we got it (laughs) so that it's understandable. Uh, Listeners, if you have questions or comments for the show, be sure to go uh, over to our Facebook group. That's that's the Improve Photography Podcast Facebook group. And you can comment on the show. I'll put I'll be putting a link to the show in that group soon uh, when we when we publish it. And uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. Love to know if you understood it or if it was still too complicated and uh, and and how you feel about it. Um, also some other things in the, with the show, you can reach the show. Uh, Instagram is at photo taco podcast. Uh, you can send me email, email photo taco podcast at gmail.com. Don, where can people catch up with you? Well, I would like for people to go to my website, which is doncom.ca, D-O-N-K-O-M.ca. All my social media stuff is linked to there. I'm pretty active on Facebook and Twitter and anywhere that you might be, you'll find me there and the links are all there. I will also uh, reiterate that uh, Photo Geek Weekly is my new weekly photo podcast, and that's at photogeekweekly.com. Uh, and I do photo workshops as well. So I'd like to plug that quickly. I've got sure. a couple of them coming up over the summer. Um, I've got a full day macro photography workshop that is here in my studio and in our award winning gardens. Uh, and that's more than half sold out right now. And uh, that's coming up in August. And I do three hour workshops where uh, I sit down with people and over those three hours, you become an expert in water droplet refraction photography. And it's amazing how much you can learn in three hours. You've got every bit of skill that you need to recreate that uh, that process with whatever creative idea that you happen to have. And those are all here in my home studio in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. Uh, And I get a lot of people coming in from all over the world to take these workshops. It's a ton of fun. Um, And there's lots of dates for the water droplet refraction workshop that are still available for 2018. All right, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on, Don. It was it was really fun to have you on the show. I hope we hammered this point home. It was a blast. <laughs> All right, and hey, listeners, make sure you go to improvephotography.com. It's the mothership. It's where it makes all these podcasts uh, possible. We have lots of content out there all the time helping people to improve their photography. It's the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is reserved. Olay!